With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, whether you're catching us live on Facebook for this episode or whether you're catching us through your regular channels. I'm your host Adam Jones, today joined by Chris Beasley, Dave Prentice and Gav Buckland. And uh, well, I've got to say, uh, Merry Christmas to everybody, Happy New Year, we've, uh, we've had a bit of a Christmas break and let's hope we uh, return from this Christmas break in better form than ever, is it? <laughs> uh, uh, we've got uh, a lot of a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, Everton's pretty disappointing, pretty disappointing defeat to Brighton at Goodson Park at the top of the agenda. Uh, Everton's uh, team selection uh, is probably probably high up on the agenda. Uh, no, no, we'll we'll uh, we've got a few technical difficulties here. <laughs> um, Gav, do you mind yourself, please? <laughs> Oh, there we go. <laughs> now, now I can hear myself. <laughs> uh, Preno, I'll take you back to about one o'clock yesterday afternoon. Everton's team sheet drops. Uh, what's your immediate thought when you when you look at that lineup that Rafa Benitez picked? Where the hell is everybody playing? Um, I, I certainly didn't expect three at the back. You know, even though it had worked okay at Stamford Bridge. Um, I certainly didn't expect to see Seamus Coleman. You know, sort of filling in as a left wing back. And an eyebrow raiser is being polite, I think, when, when I saw it. You know, you feared at the time that might be ceding a little bit of midfield control to Brighton. That was how it uh, panned out. But apart from the actual selection of the team pre-match, it was the unwillingness or the stubbornness not to change it at half-time that I found most difficult to comprehend. I mean, we were 2-0 down, we were struggling. You thought, that's got to change. You know, so surely, you know, so... We're going to see, you know, one change or change of system or formation, you know, at half time, and we didn't. And you know, whether by scoring one goal and getting back into it, that justified, you know, staying as it was. I don't think it did, because you know, Brighton were playing, for, you know, through us far too easily, you know, so throughout the second half again. So, you know, yeah, the players make mistakes, silly mistakes, schoolboy mistakes, but I think the manager has got to take a lot of responsibility for his team selection because uh, it didn't work, and it clearly didn't work from the start wasn't working by half time and he stuck with it till about 75 minutes you know so when finally made the change so lots of mistakes um throughout the uh, the afternoon and the manager's team selection i think was one of them certainly mm. i think that was a main problem wasn't it bees I me mean, we've had we've had a few issues with Seamus coleman i would say over the course of the season so far with him yeah. playing at right back let alone him moving across to a left wing back role and it you know I think it was very clear to see from the early stages that he just wasn't going to be comfortable there, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was like a throwback all the way back to, I mean, Dave will remember, I think he was there, his debut back in 2009 at Benfica, that chastening 5-0 defeat, European record defeat for the club when, you know, a young lad, he was forced to play as, even as a left conventional fullback then, let alone a, a wing back. And uh, yeah, it's unfair, Seamus Coleman will give you a wholehearted 
display wherever you know he's picked. But you know, like you say, he's been struggling at times in his in his preferred position this season, and a big part of that has been the club's failure to identify a long term successor for him. Although that could be changing now in the, in the coming days, finally. But you know, that didn't help them yesterday with him. You know, forced over onto the left. Ben Godfrey has done a good job there in in recent weeks as a, you know an auxiliary. Left back, you know, square peg in a round hole, and you know he does look effective at times. But you know, when when Luca Dean is available to be in the match day squad again, uh, for whatever reasons he, he wasn't, you know, last month, you know, he, he was back, got a warm round of applause when he was warming up on the touchline during the game. There, you know, whatever the long term future is, and obviously there was a new left back being paraded in front of the fans. Um, before the game as well. So what are the long-term futures? I mean, I, if while Dean is available now for the club, from my point of view, he was uh, available for selection and I'd have picked him yesterday. Mm. I mean, Gav, will stick with this left-back situation for the time being. I mean, I think Bees makes a, makes a right point there. Luca Dean was fit. He was on the bench. Do you think, you know, <laughs> it was time to go back and he tried a little bit and uh, probably. Um, though Benitez has repeatedly said, you know, doesn't Dean maybe doesn't want to play at the moment. There's, there's, there's that aspect to it. I, I, I didn't get the point of him being on the bench either. You know, play him at start or don't play him. Don't include him in the match day squad. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that left that difficulty when he started warming up, wasn't he? Like, and he was getting a little bit of, you know. A few rounds of applause from the crowd during, during the 90 minutes, to be honest with you. I, I, it's, it's a bit like Ricardi yesterday, isn't it, with uh, at Chelsea, where he was just left out of the match day squad, you know, and, and, and maybe that would be the best uh, option, I think, to be honest with you. Um, I thought that sort of halfway house didn't help, especially the way we lined up. I mean, I, I think we should have just gone with the back four. I mean, I would have kept Kenny in after Chelsea. To be honest with you, and, and play Goffey left back, who I think is better left back than Coleman. Um, we had that, that I found that mystifying with Dean. Yeah, you either play him or leave him on the match day squad completely, you don't sort of leave him on the bench, um, for a number of reasons. And that was one of a number of um decisions. I think that the manager may look back on it now, probably think I got that wrong. Mm. Well, I mean, Preno, I mean, to come to you on this sort of sort of situation, it, it, I think Gav raises an interesting point there, doesn't it? Like, what what is the point of having Luca Dean on the bench and you know sending him out to warm up? I think the fans sent you know a, a distinct message, didn't they, when Luca Dean first was sent out to warm up? I think essentially all four sides of Goodison were were applauding him and cheering him on, you know, and it was as much a message to the manager as it was to the player himself, wasn't it, really? Hundred percent agree. Um, it was just a baffling decision, you know. If if Luca Dean, as we're led to believe, has undermined the manager's authority or you know sort of questioned him, uh, and the manager is sending a message out to him, don't include him. What is the point of having him on the bench if you're not going to use him? You know, you're going to have a system that is tailor made for him. You know, sort of a left wing back, and yes, you're going to leave him on the bench and play your skipper and right back in an uncomfortable position. And then still not use him, even at half time when things are going badly or quarter of an hour from the end when you do decide to make a change. 
just what is the point of having him on the bench? Uh, it, it was a very, very strange decision. And I'm guessing that he was told to go out and warm up, you know, because you know, the manager generally does make those requests. And so, again, that just, like, caused even more tension amongst the crowd because you've got, you know, the supporters who are clearly against Benitez, you know, making the point uh, by just applauding, you know, sort of Luca Dean. It was just very, very strange. There were a number of, like, sort of strange decisions yesterday, and that, that was definitely one of them. I mean, just bought a new left back. So, you know, it looks like he's on his way. You know, so it looks like he's surplus to requirements. So, you know, why include him? Just very, very strange. I didn't get it at all. And it was, it made for a deeply unpleasant afternoon uh, throughout. I mean, I wouldn't say the atmosphere was toxic. It wasn't as bad as that. Uh, the, the fans did their best to get behind the team on occasions. You know, so there, there were times when they were really wheeling them on. And there were a couple of moments, a couple of tackles, a couple of... Uh, you know, some moments of pressing, you know, when they got the crowd going, they got the crowd roaring. Clearly, a lot of support for Anthony Gordon, you know, so you produced a really good performance. So the, the crowd were trying to do the bit, but those, like, very, very strange decisions undermined that a little bit and um, allowed a bit of tension to creep in. And, you know, I, I found that situation where Rondon was coming on really unpleasant. I hate that. I hate to hear Everson players booed when they're coming onto the pitch. Um, you know, whether you're think he's good enough to play for the football club or not you don't boo a player when he's coming on how is that going to help his confidence and going to help him try and you know sort of achieve you know sort of what he wants to and he had a couple of moments during the game when he came on he, he did okay so it was just all in all a very very unpleasant afternoon and uh, we don't want to go too far ahead of ourselves but it does place a huge amount of focus now on an fa cup tire hole for me that's more important than the league game against Leicester three days later. You know, you've got to pick a strong side for Hull and, you know, sort of make your changes for the, the Leicester game the, the week after because the whole game is now massively important. But, yeah, you know, so to, to, to go back, it, it was a very, very strange decision, you know, sort of to name him on, on a substitute's bench and then not to use him when clearly it was crying out for somebody with a bit of quality on that left-hand side, you know, so to get some quality balls in that maybe Calvert-Lewin could have done something with. Yeah, very, very unhappy afternoon all round. Mm. We'll circle round to that uh, Rondon conversation again a little bit later on, but just reading some comments that are coming through on the Facebook Live here. Jamie Sharple says, nearly every time we can clear the ball from defence, we headed it or kicked it straight back to a Brighton player. Lee Jones says, wrong team, wrong tactics. No subs till the 75th minute, brings on Gomez in the 85th minute. Clueless, inept. And I think particularly bees, Jamie's... A comment there goes back to this formation that we're talking about. Having five at the back leaves only two men in midfield in Abdelaide Decore and Alan. And especially in the first half, they just weren't at the races, were they? No, um, it, it was interesting. I mean, I've I've done a piece after that game. We haven't published it yet, in which we're obviously looking at the two managers there. And uh, Graham Potter, who was, in many people's eyes, an alternative vision for Everton. Last summer, but one of the things that Potter does is he regularly plays that three at the back formation, but that means his players are comfortable in, in that formation. Whereas Everton over the years, Everton's big problem with the, the free centre back system is that they use it in an ad hoc manner and that they bring it in as and when, and the players don't really know if they're coming and going. And that was, that's what we saw, you know, within 21, 20, 21 minutes, Brighton are 2 0 up and two very simple goals which have come from the Everton defenders not knowing which position to be in or not taking up the correct position because they're not familiar with that setup and like you say the um the 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 Brighton um players you know man, man for man they they they're 
not the sort of same caliber you would think on 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 paper as as Everton, and has certainly been assembled at a fraction of the price. But you know, when players don't know their roles or they take the, the, the wrong decisions, I mean, it, it, it was just it was a it was a mess, and a lot of that came from people being asked to do something that they're either not used to or they're just not comfortable um, in doing. But they they the manager's instructions. Mm. We've seen a lot of Alan and Eliza Corre as a midfield keeper. Uh, what did you make of him yesterday? Um, set the tone for the team. They were after <laughs> uh, cheesy words carefully. Um, well, they were they were outmanoeuvred, weren't they? Um, they were they weren't as mobile as, as Brighton. Um, you know, the man, especially in the first half, how many times were Brighton able to run from midfield to the our area and then the area without receiving any sort of uh, challenge? Um, offered nothing going forward. Um, and I, I get I get the five, but really we should be playing three four three, shouldn't we? The two the two full backs push up, so we've got like four and four in midfield. And as you say, it was more like five two three, wasn't it? Um, and I thought both were way off the pace, uh, gave the ball away, improved a little bit in the second half, but nowhere near as effective as as, as Brighton's midfield and. Uh, that was the thing. I mean, I've watched Brighton quite a few times this season, and the disappointing thing for me yesterday is, especially, I mean, I watched them at Chelsea a few days ago, and at Anfield, and they were, didn't play half as good as what they did at Chelsea yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because they presented Chelsea with a load of problems, had a lot of the ball, a lot of possession, you know, um, you know, used the width of the pitch and stuff. And I don't even think Brighton might look back at yesterday's performance will come back and say we played really well there compared to how we played this season. I, I, I don't think they did. And, you know, they didn't have to do a lot. to. to it was 3-2, but it wasn't a 3-2 game, if you know what I mean. <laughs> we were obviously chasing the game early on, and a lot of that came from the midfield and that back three. I mean, if you've got a back three, you've got to have somebody who's comfortable on the ball at the back of the ball out of defence. And woeful passing by from from our, I think this is one of the comments there uh, on Facebook is woeful passing from our uh, back three yesterday. I mean, I think there was a couple that went straight into touch, <laughs> wasn't there? And a number that was just rescued before they crossed the touch line, and that didn't help the midfield get any sort of control if you if you back back three can't pass the ball to them. Um, so yeah, focus on allowing to core, but. There's all problems behind them. I think that uh, contributed to their their poor performance. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Freno, I don't want to go on about this formation, etc. But, you know, this is, I've seen a lot of people call out Rafa Benitez for having a, something of a stubborn attitude about not wanting to play. A four-three-three. When it seems to everybody that a four-three-three, I would say, seems to suit the players that Everton have got, especially in the midfield area. It seems to suit the players that Everton have got a lot more than any other any other system. Does it come to a point now where Rafa Benitez has got to just say, "Well, I, I don't personally like playing this system, but I'm going to have to give it a go." 
Well, I used exactly that word uh, at half-time and after the game, stubborn. I thought the manager was too stubborn for his own good uh, yesterday. Um, you know, clearly he wanted to play this system. I don't really know why. You know, we've had 17 days to prepare for this and we ended up with Seamus Coleman playing left wing back, uh, which was a very strange situation. But clearly it wasn't working. So, you know, so change it. But, you know, the, the manager's stubbornness you know, sort of prevented him from doing that. You know, so he, he wouldn't bring Luca Dean on. Uh, he wouldn't change the system. I saw a couple of stats after the game. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a big lover of the, the expected goals, you know, um, statistic. Yeah, it really surprised me looking at match of the day last night, match of the day two, the list of stats at the end of the game. You know, so Everson had more shots on target, more shots, more corners. And it comes to expected goals, Everson 1.7, Brighton 1.4. I'm thinking, so we've actually outperformed them in expected goals. How does that work when Brighton have scored three goals? They're only expected to score, you know, so yes. one, one of them was from outside the box, an absolute screamer, wasn't it? So, in terms so of expected goals, expected goal, goal. Okay. Yeah, I get it's, quite, uh, it's quite low in terms of the expected goals number, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it was strange. So, maybe that is what Rafa will point to as justification, you know, so for, for staying the way he did, that, you know, we were expected to score more goals because, um, you know, so the, the system was working. It wasn't. You know, so as Gavin said earlier, Brighton played through us so many times. How many times did Morpe, you know, sort of run with the ball, like sort of 40 and 50 yards? Looked like an absolute, he's a decent enough player, looked like an absolute nuisance throughout. How many times did Basuma, you know, sort of carry the ball long distances with no challenge? That was because the system was wrong. Because, you know, we only had two players who were like stranded in the middle of the park. who were not supported. Um, it was it was just very, very strange, you know, sort of throughout. And so, yeah, I think the manager has to, you know, to accept a degree of responsibility uh, and accept that he probably was stubborn. He won't because he's stubborn, you know, because um, he's, he's single-minded and he's got this, you know, attitude that, you know, if the players follow absolutely everything that he does to the letter, things will, will come right. But it didn't yesterday, you know, so it didn't work out. And so he has to hold his hand up, you know, so whether he will, he can point to the mistakes and there were mistakes. But, you know, I think one of them was certainly his team selection. And, um, mm. you know, do we go back to, you know, a, a different system? We played four at the back away at Brighton earlier this season and uh, and got a great performance and a great win, you know, so so it works playing, you know, so with, with four at the back and three in midfield or I can't remember who was in midfield that day, but, you know, whether it was four or three. Uh, but, yeah, the players do seem better suited to a 4-3-3. And, you know, we were picking the team, you know, so in the car on the way to the game yesterday. And everybody said the same. You know, so we had a midfield three that included Gomez in there from the start, Gomez, Alan and Takure. And, you know, it just, it's, OK, it's easy to be wise after the event. But that was before the event. You know, so a lot of people saying, you know, to brighten the decent in midfield, we need to match that. And we didn't. So it's baffling, you know, so. What do we know? It'd be quite interesting to hear, you know, so the manager come out and actually explain, you know, so why he went with that system. And there will be reasons for it, you know, so he will have, you know, so a reason as to why why he went with that. I think we'd be interested to hear it. Well, I mean, Bees Prenos mentions the individual mistakes that Rafa Benitez picked up on after the game. And, you know, in the opening minutes of the match, Everton have got three centre-backs on the pitch and two of Brighton's players have got all the time in the world inside the box. Uh, for the second goal, there's two of them free, completely free at the back post. For the third goal, Mason Holgate makes a good tackle and then Michael Keane gives Brighton the ball <laughs> straight back before, you know, admittedly, it's a it's a very good finish from McAllister. But, you know, he, those those sorts of individual mistakes, especially from somebody like Michael Keane as well, who we've picked up on a couple of times this season as being 
you know, very inconsistent to say the least. You know, those, those kinds of mistakes just seem prevalent in this Everton side, don't, don't they? Like, they, they just keep yeah. keep coming back. Yeah, this, they said that in, individual errors. It's, it's interesting with, with with Kane because I think he can be a very effective centre-back if, he, if he's doing the basics, but it seems like he's getting instructions to pass the ball more often now and, and go long, and that's not one of his strengths. I think I mean, maybe he's going off script again, but there was one point when he sort of attempted a long-range effort on his left foot. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm not sure. Kaiser Keane, he's having to pick a pass. <laughs> and, um, no, but he, I said he can be a very effective centre-back when he's staying to the basics and doing what a centre-back, you know, with the, the heading and tackling and, and the organising. Don't ask him to do something he's not comfortable with, but I don't know if it is instructions from the manager. I presume it is in that he just seems to be attempting these more ambitious passes, which I suppose is admirable, but if you know you'll play to people's strengths. But yeah, the individual errors. I mean, that's what this is the problem, isn't it? You've got the manager being criticised there for the way he set up the team, and justifiably so. You know, that's one winning twelve now. People are, are mentioning. You know, it's been flagged up now. That's eighteen games. He's actually picked up less, fewer points. No, sorry, was it the same points as Mike Walker or one less than Mike Walker after eighteen games? I was doing the rounds yesterday, so that's concerning. But yeah, if you throw into the mix individual errors on top of that as well, because you know these this group of players do have to take a large degree of responsibility because they failed under Carlo Ancelotti, who is now in, back in his uh, you know more, more uh, what would seem his natural habitat of Real Madrid, massaging the egos of the Galacticos. But he's doing well with with them. They failed under uh, the managers as diverse as Sam Allardyce and Marco Silva. So. The book also has to stop with with the players as well to a certain extent. In that, yeah, there's the mitigating circumstances that they are a patchwork quilt of a squad assembled by all these two different managers who've been at Everton in recent years. But yeah, it's it's a really sort of dangerous combination when you've got the manager being questioned what he's telling the players to do, and then when they make an individual errors on top of that, you know, that's just when you. Well, Benitez said that. Uh, no, um, I haven't had 17 days to do so. Um, I mean, just a couple of times in the first start, they had flick ons at near post, wasn't it? It wasn't just the uh, the goal. I mean, that would be left. Well, with two plays for three, where they had the far post, had for the, for the goal, and you know, corners and set pieces, of course, there's enormous problems. All season, and, and that was just a, day, a terrible, terrible goal to concede uh, at that stage. I thought for the first goal, do you think Takora sort of lost his man? So McAllister, he sort of was trailing behind him. He sort of lost, he didn't sack the run, did he? So I, I thought that was just a Takora was just as uh, much as false as the as the defence. But yeah, um, we struggled in the first half, especially from. From set pieces and um, that that cost us and it's just just poor. I mean, we say about four three three, but I'm not necessarily thinking it's the the answer. Is we've got to have the right players to play four three three. I'm comfortable playing in that because didn't we play three midfield against Palace away? Sort of. Wow. I think that's the time this season. Sort of we a played, little bit. We played Gomez as number ten, which I wouldn't yeah. really count. But but that's that's what I mean. Ad, because if you play four three three. You've got to have somebody who'll sit at the back, somebody's box to box, and somebody who'll play like a creative midfielder. And I'd argue that 
you probably haven't got any three players that match those three descriptions. We haven't got like a creative midfielder. In Decore, you could argue, can sort of play box to box, but we certainly haven't got somebody who will sit at the back in front of the defence. Uh, because that Alan, uh, that's not Alan's role, is it? That's not traditionally what he's done. He's more of a box to box player. So, so I'd say 4 3 3, but who are the three you're going to have and what formation, you know, what are their roles going to be and the formation you're going to play? So, um, you can you can be outmaneuvered with three midfield if you don't if they don't know what to do. Um and so I, I I get I get that as a, a suggestion, but to me it's it's not necessarily something that's going to resolve a few issues there. Um but yeah, going back to your point, it was just uh, it was had full uh fuck a hook to concede, but not the first one we conceded from a corner set piece this season, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean just Looking through a few more comments here. Poor, uh, poor Lisa Benici says she's watched from Australia 1 a.m. when the match started, watched until almost 3 a.m., which is some some dedication from uh, Lisa there. Jonathan Wallace says, I think Alan is a big problem. He's too slow and doesn't cover his centre-halves well at all. That position in the team is urgently required, which is obviously going back to what uh, what Gav has just said there. Ashley Stewart just said, Dave, that he's finished reading your book. He said they read it in work and it was boss. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, had some enjoyment over uh, the last few days. <laughs> a nice little comment, and I mean, I suppose while we've had that nice little comment, let's focus on probably the one positive from yesterday's game, which was Anthony Gordon's performance. Which I thought, even even despite the two goals that he scored, I think his performance in general was just fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, he's looking really robust and purposeful now, isn't he? You know, he's he's always been you know tidy and you know so relatively creative. But he's he needed to bulk up a little bit. He needed to uh, you know sort of improve his strength because it is such an unforgiving uh, you know sort of league, the Premier League in terms of physicality. And he's done that, and it's showing. You know, so he's his running with the ball is strong now, and uh, he's shrugging off defenders, and he's making things happen. Uh, it's funny actually. I I, I got collared by somebody in, a, in my local a couple of days ago, and uh, wanted to basically slag me off. Uh, you know, so over. My my mate's my mate's unsworth. When's he going to produce anybody decent from the academy? And I started saying, "Well, hang on, you know, the, the squad's been full of academy players over the last like month or so." You know, notably Anthony Gordon. And he just looked at me and he said, "Ah, no, somebody of substance." And I said, "What? You don't think Anthony Gordon's got substance? So we might as well finish the conversation now." Um, and we did because you know he clearly had a brief you know sort of about Anthony Gordon who's been one of the shining lights of this season and uh, is getting better and better and the one thing that was missing you know so was it was a goal you know so an end product i mean his quality uh, from the flanks has been good obviously he created the goal at chelsea um and you know his quality of delivery yesterday was decent as well we just needed a goal and you could tell it meant a lot to him he's talked about it in recent weeks about you know so how he's desperate to score a goal and how he visualized it he probably did visualize it down at the street end probably in a, in a winning cause rather than a you know sort of come from behind cause but you know he got a bit of good fortune with the uh deflection off lalana for the first one but he still kept going and kept going and you know he had the dig in the first place which is why he scored the goal and then lovely movement and a lovely finish with the second goal as well and so it was good to see the, the fans actually respond to that as well. I think your piece, Adam, you, you said uh, about, you know, so how they were booing, you know, so at the end of the game. But equally, they stopped very, very quickly to chant Anthony Gordon's name uh, and, you know, make him aware that, no, you're not part of this, this, uh, this, this, you know, this, this reaction, you know, so because his performance was good, as was Damari Gray's. Damari Gray was very, very good as well. 
but no, it, it's it's good to see. You know, there are a couple of you know sort of shafts of light, but unfortunately, those positives just get completely swamped by the negatives and the mistakes. If you're going to make schoolboy errors, uh, no matter how much good work Anthony Gordon does or Damari Gray does, you're going to be fighting the losing cause. And the word they were just like howlers throughout. I mean, that second goal was horrible. And, you know, they've been working on corners all week. You know, clearly people haven't been listening in class because it was shocking, absolutely shocking. Um, but let, let, let's focus on the positives now because we, we've talked about the negatives, you know, so, so much. And, yeah, Anthony Gordon did look bright. He looked strong. He looks like a player. who could enjoy a really strong second half of the season. Damari Gray has had a good season, you know, so throughout. And, you know, so hopefully he can enjoy freedom from injury and can continue to do that. And I think with Dominic Calvert-Lewin being back in the frame now, and it was a risk, you know, so playing him for 19 minutes yesterday, I don't think Rafa would have wanted to have done that. Uh, but because, you know, we're betraying and we're struggling, you know, he felt compelled to leave him on for the full 90 minutes. That was a bit, uh, uh, well, yeah, risky, you know, so I thought, but they got away with it. But I think having him back as a focal point now and having had the 90 minutes, which he clearly needed, um, I think we'll probably see more from Anthony Gordon and Damari Gray because their quality of delivery from the flanks will actually have a focal point now. Uh, I don't know how far away Richarlison is, but, you know, so he's decent in the air as well. And, you know, start of the season, we're getting good quality crosses into the box and we were getting the reward from them. Hopefully that can continue to be the case now. And, uh, you know, so Anthony Gordon and Damari Gray will get the uh, the rewards that their efforts deserve. So, yeah, you know, so some positives, you know, sort of made up for the last. He did really, really well. And he got the, uh, you know, sort of the applause and the, uh, you know, sort of, the recognition that he deserved, you know, so and hopefully you can continue that now going forward. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think the setup yesterday, Bees essentially put a lot of creative pressure on the likes of Gordon and Damari Gray, didn't it? And I think, especially towards the start of the second half, for example, both of them stood up to be countered and and, uh, and really lived up to it, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'll come back to to young Anthony there, who's rightly you know getting applauded, but Damari Gray, he he gave everything yesterday. I mean, he was, he was almost uh, say dead on his feet, but you could see, you know, he, he was. He was blowing towards the end, but you know, still determined to to, to keep going because you thought you know he would offer a spark or something, maybe like like he did right at the end against Arsenal. Um, yeah, a few like tackles as well. It's not a, a thing that you particularly associate with attacking midfielders, wide men like that, and uh, both of them getting stuck in. I think there was one where Gray sort of nicked the ball, and that's got the, the crowd on the feet. Because again, though, it's having to to react to things. Again, I, I thought it was very quiet at the start. Yes yesterday and it's the way that the team have been starting all season rather than beginning on the front foot um yeah it's, it, it, it was again re- reacting rather than starting on the front foot but yeah the, the pair of them um, Anthony Gordon like Davis said has just needed that first goal it was similar to I think he got coupled in he on his England under 21s debut up at, at, at Burnley and um hopefully he can kick on again after, after this because it 
it's almost become like an, an obsession for him, you know, in the best possible way. You can see, you know, he wanted to break that duck and he would be cutting inside. He said he used to do that so many times for the junior teams and that was his, his trademark finish, cutting inside from the left and sort of top corner job. So uh, two very different goals actually to, to that yesterday. You know, it was like more central position where he'd, he'd shot for the first one coming off Lalana, and then obviously the, the near post close range finish for it. The second, hopefully, that can do him the, the world of good and, the, you know, the one positive to take from the game because you're not getting that from Awobi when he's been playing. He's not had that end product and that's been one of the big disappointments of him. So, for a home goal hero like Anthony Gordon to, to give you that that sort of extra edge in, in the final third, it could hopefully be one of those shafts of light for the second half of the season. Do you think that goal will give Gordon more freedom back? Yeah, more confidence. We noticed that Chelsea's in with that. He, he just appeared to be a, a more confident uh, player, a more mature, a little bit, like I said, a bit of leadership. And yeah, I mean, a couple of encouraging things, apart from the two goals yesterday, and I'll set aside the couple of corners that he put out of out play, but um, um, was, he was effective on both flanks yesterday, wasn't he? Started, started left, moved to right, and he, and he affected the game on both flanks. And also, we've got to remember, not only did he score two goals, but the penalty began from his cross, wasn't it? His run across and on, from the left that came out and then he won the penalty. So he, he affected the game more than just his, his two goals yesterday. Uh, and I thought of the second goal particularly was a smart finish. Um, yeah, it's just part of the confidence-building process. And, and as the lads have said, is you can... I think if you look... Showed what's the video of yesterday's game to some of his performances early in the season. I think you'd see a big, big difference in in his as as Penno said, his physicality, his his, his confidence, and um, he just looks a more robust player, doesn't he, Gordon? And and that would do a power of good yesterday. Um, and just hope he can carry on, you know, carry on to now and the end of end of the season. Apparently, there was a status. Is the only uh, younger player to score two goals in the game in the Premier League for Evan was Lukaku, you know, in the three or derby. Um, so that shows yeah, uh, it doesn't happen. 20 year old score on twice in the game for Evan doesn't happen very often. Um, so yeah, uh, excellent performance yesterday, and not just about the two goals either. I thought he affected the game off both flanks in both halves, and that was that's encouraging. It gives us flexibility going forward. Talking about how poor was the referee in not spotting that first time and not booking Basuma, you know, so when he should have done early doors, a couple of dodgy decisions from him throughout, but that didn't affect the outcome of the game in the end, you know. So, our own mistakes contributed to that. Like you say, David, it wasn't the referee who lost the game for Everton, but we were saying before the game, you know, I didn't know him, the referee was very. Um, I think Adam pointed out he'd done the Lincoln FA Cup game a couple of seasons ago, but um, yeah, I think there was um, I think that's shown certainly in the first half, he seems to be following the players' reactions rather than making his own mind up and things. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Tano, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. We've we've to talk about the little bit of a controversial incident with the Salmon Rondon. Substitution, don't we? I mean, there were a, there were a few a few boos ringing out when Salomon Rondon stood up off the bench. Uh, a few more boos when, like, well, after they'd applauded John Joe Kenny off the pitch and Salomon Rondon entered entered proceedings. 
at Goodison Park. Now, I wrote, I wrote a piece about this yesterday and I've had a lot of supporters messaging me saying that they were doing the decision from Benitez to bring on Rondon rather than the likes of somebody like Sims or Dobbin, yeah. uh, rather than booing the player himself, which I can kind of understand, I suppose. But I, I do think... I do think that some of I, I do think that there were still some boos that were aimed at the player himself as well, and even if they weren't aimed at the player, you know, Salomon Rondon being introduced to the to the match, to you know, some some noticeable boos. It's it's not really going to do a lot for his confidence, is it? No, I said that, I think it's horrible. I, I don't like that kind of thing at all. You know. There are plenty of players that have played for Everton that we think don't have the, uh, the the quality or you know so shouldn't be wearing the blue shirts, but you don't boo them when they come on. Um, regarding the the reasons for booing him, yeah, I sort of understand that. You know, you could tell when he was waiting to come on. You know, the boos had started straight away. You know, so because fans didn't want to see him, they wanted to see one of the younger players. But I'd argue that you know, so it's probably right bringing on a more experienced striker. You know, so who's you know, okay, he's not had a great start to his Everton career, but you know, he's, he's got plenty of you know, sort of experience in the Premier League. And Ellis Sims and Lewis Dobbin, from what we've seen, you know, so sort of from them, you know, so sort of at Stamford Bridge, especially, they're not quite ready yet, you know, so sort of for you know, prolonged first team exposure. And I would argue that the manager probably called that right, you know, so he didn't get many things right yesterday, but that, that was, you know, we did need a more experienced uh, striker. I actually feared at one stage we were going to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin's number come up and a straight swap, and I thought that would have been received very badly. Uh, but as it was, you know, it was a, a straight swap, a defender for an attacker. So, yeah, I understand the manager's puzzlement that, you know, sort of getting booed for that. But I think it was clearly because he's seen as a representative of, you know, Rafa Benitez's, you know, sort of reign, if you like. Um, you know, he, he represents the manager and they were trying to guess that, Disapproval, you know, so that that frustration across, uh, you know, he's seen as Rafa's man basically, and that that's why he was getting booed, and th- that's harsh. I mean, Damari Gray is Rafa's man, so is Andros Townsend, you know, so they've been great signings this season, you know, supporters, you know, the the, the clues in the title, you know, you support the team, and so yeah, that that disappointed me enormously. That you know, so just okay, if you don't like the man, just don't keep quiet, you know, so don't say anything. Um, it's not going to do his cause any good. He did okay when he came on. You know, he got that ball across the box that Anthony Gordon uh, put just wide. He connected very, very sweetly with that uh, left-footed uh, volley. You know, so and Graham Potter was going ballistic in the dugout that he'd been given that much space and was allowed to do that. Uh, but he connected a bit too well, maybe. You know, so and sent, sent it fizzing over. But no, that that was unpleasant. But probably symptomatic of the fans' frustration by that stage. They had enough that they'd seen so much poor play. That, you know, they just wanted a focal point, uh, you know, so for their frustration. And unfortunately, it was uh, directed at poor old Solomon Rondon. I suppose what a lot of supporters will say, though, Bees, is, you know, choosing Rondon over the likes of Dobbin and Sims, who had, you know, played very well against Chelsea last time out. You know, Rafa Benitez, he, he was maybe forced to put a bit of trust in them thanks to the uh, COVID and injury situation at the time. But he did put trust in them and they did. Uh, reward him with a couple of good performances against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, whereas Salomon Rondon has got a lot of chances over the course of this first half of the season and there are not many occasions that he's actually impressed, even in the game that he scored against Crystal Palace. I thought he was okay off the bench, but uh, he wasn't exactly, he didn't exactly like the world on fire or anything like that. So I think, can you understand Everton fans' frustrations in a way in, 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 that, in terms of that decision? 
I can understand their frustrations with Rondon, the, the entire picture, in that he is a player with Premier League pedigree who has a decent track record, decent scoring rate at West Brom and Newcastle eventually, although he had a slow start there as well. And he hasn't sort of hit those levels expected to him, so I can understand that. But like Dave, I don't understand the booing. And <coughs> as much as you can, and as we have done over this past half an hour, point the finger at things that we think both Benitez and the players have done wrong yesterday. Those two players, as promising as they might be, Ellis Sims and uh, Lewis Dobbin, are very untested at this level. You know, he, he is a, a proven Premier League player. So personally, no. Um, of all we can say about Benitez and Everton yesterday, I think he's fully within his rights to bring on the, uh, you know, the senior striker compared to a couple of lads who may or may not prove themselves to be Premier League quality in the long term. Mm. I mean, I think we've got to talk about the the overriding question, Gav. It's one win in 12 games now for Everton. The pretty, pretty disgraceful run of form. Is Rafa Benitez the man to turn this round? Depends what you mean by turning round. Add what your ambitions are, um, to be honest with you. Um, if, if you say... Saying it that means challenging for sixth or seventh, then you would say, well, not only the manager would argue the players are not good enough to be sixth or seventh. If you if you're saying to address to, to get us back into mid table, um, where let's face it, that's probably what the expectations were at the start of the season, given the fact that we spent was it less than two million pounds on new players. Um, if you say to get us back to mid table. Uh, given the fact that we have got the January transfer window, probably bring a couple of players in at areas that were um, weaker, namely right back. Get get some like people like Richarlison back in the team. Then I think the manager's eminently capable of doing that. Uh, to be honest with you, if that's what your ambition is, um, given given you know, and there's so many variables at the moment, isn't there? And football injuries, COVID, all that type of stuff. Then I think he is. Um, the problem I think for Benitez will be if this slide continues and we we had closer to uh, the relegation zone than 14, 13 place, you know, and that's that that's the problem for me. Um, but in terms of getting us back up to mid table, given a full set of players that are that are uh, fit and injury free, then yeah. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Brenno, we're in the in the midst of a transfer window now. It looks like you know we've already got Vitaly Mikolenko over the line. It looks like Nathan Patterson is going to be following shortly. You know, there's still going to be more additions that Everton need over the course of this January transfer window. A lot of people are looking at that as you know as something of a backing to. Rafa Benitez in amid this poor run of form, but do you think it gets to a point where this poor run of form just gets too bad, or it's 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 a really interesting situation, isn't it? Because you know the pressure's rising. You've got to say that. Hundred uh, percent. It's it's a strange situation, uh, and I've used that word so many times today, but it is. Um, you know, the owner appears to be backing the manager. You know, he's allowing him to bring in new players. Um, and the last thing in the world that Everton needs 
is yet more upheaval and another manager, you know, sort of making way and another new face coming in, moving on the players that he doesn't fancy and bringing in new players. You know, we need some kind of stability, but that stability can only happen if you're getting results, you know, so at the end of it. And um, that run is appalling at the moment. I mean, I think you said earlier about, uh, as Chris mentioned about the Mike Walker run, um, and, you know, that, after 18 games is when Joe Royal had actually come in and uh, had started to turn things around with you know, winning his first three games. And we're still only one point better off than that appalling season. That was horrible. That was the worst start to a season in the club's history. And uh, so if we're like, actually, you know, still treading on that kind of territory, things are very, very worrying. Um, so we need an improvement as a matter of urgency. And as I said earlier, for, for me, the FA Cup now is so, so important. And I don't think Rafa can actually afford to do what he did at QPR and, uh, you know, make wholesale changes against Hull City to try and, you know, sort of keep the players fresh for the uh, the challenge of Leicester on the Tuesday night. He needs to make progress in the FA Cup. And uh, I, I would argue that he needs to pick as strong a team as possible against Hull and then start rotating your team for the Leicester game. Uh, and there are people will say about, well, what about a relegation fight? And, you know, eight points is still a fairly sizable gap. And I think we can all safely say that the three teams at the bottom, you know, sort of a pretty set. I mean, we don't know quite what Newcastle are going to do in terms of, you know, sort of recruitments in January, but it's, it's a difficult window to try and recruit and make uh, the changes that will make a massive difference to your squad. So, you know, maybe I'm being overly optimistic here, but I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, so it, 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 things are grim and things are gloomy and you don't want to be like, you know, wallowing around in 14th and 15th on the table. But, you know, it, I think there's a sufficiently sizable gap not to get dragged down into a proper relegation fight at the moment. I mean, you look at some of the fixtures coming up and they look relatively favourable. But that's, you know, second guessing and presuming that we are going to get results at Norwich, at Newcastle, you know, so at Burnley, you know, so they're six pointers now. You know, so we need to make sure that, you know, we don't lose those games. And the mistakes that we're making at the moment, I mean, would you fancy us going to Burnley and successfully defending four and five corners in a game, five and six corners in a game, because I, I don't at the moment, you know, so things have to change, you know, so quickly. So, you know, so Rafa Benitez, you know, so can be the man to, you know, so affect an improvement, whether that's enough, you know, so I don't know, but the players have got to start listening, you know, so to what he's telling them on the training pitch and, you know, so confidence has got to improve and you can't just change confidence just like that. Uh, you know, so a lot of those mistakes yesterday, you know, so were players lacking confidence, Michael Keane passing the ball into touch. That that's you know comes from a, you know, a lack of confidence. And um it, it was weird to think that happened after he you know made the mistake for the third goal, didn't he? Where he was he was trying to be positive, he was trying to play uh, a very penetrating ball out of defense to Anthony Gordon, and it didn't work. Uh conceded a goal. And as a result, you know, so that impacted on the decisions he made, you know, so later on. And again, like I Shook my head in disbelief at trying to take that shot on uh, near the end. I just didn't see where that was coming from, to be honest. I mean, Seamus Coleman, yeah, that was the edge of the box, and you know, people were imploring him to shoot, but no, not Michael Keane from that distance. So, yeah, it's uh, it, I've been saying this so many times recently results are needed as a matter of urgency, and you know, the managers managed to pull one or two out when they were needed, you know, notably against Arsenal, notably against Chelsea. Desperately needs one against Hull City now. It's actually on BBC as well, isn't it? You know, so it's, it's live yeah. for the entire nation to, to watch now. Um, so yeah, desperately needs a result this Saturday. I suppose, bees though, the fact that we're you know, we've mentioned an in uh, a relegation battle a couple of times there, and it's not like it's not beyond the realms of possibility, it's a, it's a realistic, it's, it's actually realistic that Everton could be dragged into a relegation battle if they don't 
arrest this run of form and start picking up results. And, you know, I'm just looking at the comments here, Justin Coward has said, you know, where where was this squad of players at this point last season? They were in, in and around the European places and not really much has changed in that squad of Everton players, but they seem yeah. to be performing a lot worse <laughs> at this stage of the season. So <laughs> where, where does it go from here? Yeah, um, yeah. I think as, as recently as I know it was a delayed start to the season, but they were second on Boxing Day, weren't they last season? Mm-hmm. Something like that. So yeah, um, the problem we've got, as, as Dave said, that there are those teams who are struggling, and at the moment there is a bit of breathing space between them and where Everton are. Everton in a very lowly position, but there is a buffer in terms of points. But when you vote, like we said, when you've only picked up one victory in twelve matches, and talking about oh yeah they had that you know terrible run of fixtures where they, you didn't know where the next point was going to come from but then they've dropped points in games that they you really would expect them to do as much as it hurts Evertonians they, those games against Manchester City and even the Derby match aren't the ones that are going to define the season but when you're capitulating at home to Watford and there's that limp display down at Brentford losing that one Crystal Palace where I think they hadn't lost for many a year in the in the Premier League losing that and then Brighton that's Brighton have been trying to win I know obviously they spent a lot of time outside the top flight but Brighton been trying to win at Goodison Park since 1913 and that was the first time they'd ever won at Goodison Park if I'm right is that right Garth uh, yeah. first time is right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they've only played about 10 times, Chris, 11 times. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe yeah. I'm making it sound more dramatic. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not like It's not like last year when we had all those crazy results in empty stadiums with Fulham getting their first um, league win at, at Goodison Park and obviously Everton winning at Anfield and then winning at the Emirates in empty stadiums. You know, normal services resumed this, this season in terms of having capacity crowds and... These are the fixtures Everton should be should be winning. We're talking about Brighton are doing well. They now I think they're now eight points above Everton with a with a, a team that's been assembled for a lot less money. And the problem is, you know, you say no, I won't get dragged into a relegation fight. But Everton should be doing far better than that. They should we don't just be saying, well, well, they were okay because there's three teams worse than them. It should be. Half a division worse than them. This is a team with aspirations for a European place. And I think Rafa said to, to Dave early in the season that what was it, eighth meant nothing to him finishing eighth. Snap your hand off by that now, wouldn't you? In eighth place. So, yeah, it, 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 it's a mess. They should be doing a lot better. And I think that Rafa's actually helped by the fact that he's the sixth manager in five years. And maybe if all those sackings and all those managers that had gone, hadn't gone before him. Well, he, he might have gone himself now, but we just know the futility of repeating the process again and again. You're looking to jump in here, Gavin, make another point. I, I was I was just going to say, it goes back to your original question to me about Benitez. If you if you put all the, the squads in the Premier League on one piece of paper and were asked to rank them, right, okay, looking at the, looking at the balance of the squad, the age of the squad, the stability, the management, and all that type of stuff. Where do you think Everton would be? I think we'd be somewhere where we are now. I think we'd probably be 12th to 15th on that list because there's other squads of clubs, shall we say, who are smaller than us, who've got a better balance, younger players, better managed, Brighton being one of them. And when you take all that into account, we are probably... A twelve to fifteen club. I, I 
I keep hearing like, oh, with such and such a team, none of their players are getting our squad. I don't agree with that at all. I think I think a lot of other Premier League teams will look at us and say, well, how many of them players would we have in their, in their squad? There's a few obvious ones, are Charles and Calvert-Lewin, Gray, probably Anthony Gordon now. But once you get in midfield and defence, probably not a lot. You know, and, and we talk about last season. The difference between this season and last season is, A, there's... There's, there's crowds. So the thing is, Decore and Allen both a year older. And when you get to when you get to your late twenties, early thirties, another twelve months on the clock can have a big difference to your performance. And um, I, I, I think we need to remove ourselves from in this discussion. Oh, we are a big club. We should be beating these teams. What we should be doing, look, is looking at their squad, how they're managed, and saying, well, actually, take account of those factors. Should we be beating them? I mean, I don't, I don't think I haven't watched Brighton this season that actually, at any point, would they say we should be beating Brighton yesterday? Because they're a well-managed team of good players who know what they're doing. And when you take into account the, the weaknesses of our squad, which we've spoken about many times on the, on the pod, then actually it's a big ask for us to say, well, you know, we should be beating them. You know, so I just think that's the danger, isn't it? I think with a 12 to 15 team, when you take account of all the factors that make up a successful Playing the new team, and that's where broadly where we are on the table. Mm. But you say before, though, Gav, that Brighton didn't really play all that well yesterday. Compared comparatively to what they've done so far this season, they didn't really play all that well. So, yeah, re- realistically, Everton could have beaten them yesterday if they'd have set up right and cut out the mistakes. Um, yeah, Brighton would say, "Well, we did enough to win." If, if Everton had played better, we would have played better, like we did at Chelsea and, and Liverpool. You know, so I just think. This is the danger sometimes. I don't want to say about relegation, but you, that your size of the team doesn't necessarily, and the size of the club doesn't necessarily, you know, remove you from a relegation battle, does it? Or mean that you should naturally be up top end of the Premier League? There's lots of different factors there. And I, I just think that um, we got, we're weak in so many positions and there's, a, there's clubs above us, four or five players above us, who've got far stronger squads and better managed. What we are. When I say better managers, I've got, I've not had five or six managers in five, you know, five years. That's bred all in a lot of instability. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think we need to take that into account. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there. We've had we've had a long fifty odd minutes of some cathartic conversation after what was, you know, pretty uh, pretty dismal. Everton game at Goodison Park on Sunday afternoon. We'll be back a little bit later on in the week, looking ahead to, as what Preno rightly says, is a really, really big FA Cup match away to Hull City at the weekend. Thank you very much for joining us on Facebook Live if you've been here. And thank you very much for listening if you've been catching us through your usual podcast channels. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.